Discussing the news that matters. Light Breakfast Front Page. And on front page with me this morning is Rajan Moses, former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor. Also, Kitwan Chai, a former journalist as well as the author of The People's Victory. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Now, uh, Joe Lowe apparently has given up uh, U.S. $1 billion in assets to settle one MDB suits. Um, the U.S. Department of Justice struck a deal with Joe Lowe. What does Joe Lowe get in return? Do you know? Anyone privy to this? What? Well, he, he avoids having to pay huge legal costs. And also on top of that, he gets a, a kind of reprieve, for now anyway, mm-hmm. because uh, I, I doubt very much that the DOJ, the Department of Justice, is going to come up to him because it's going to have, take a long time and uh, take a lot of effort to prepare a case against him. So I, I think he's banking on the possibility that over time they'll just let him go. Wow. You know, so they, he's they've hoping got to get off scot-free. Right. This is not an admission of guilt or criminality. Is that right? It, it isn't because um, it, it's um, merely saying, "Hey, you know, I'm not going to touch you again." You know, <laughs> with with uh, with the uh, action against you because uh, I mean the DOJ has been waiting for a long time to get this money, and it's a huge amount we're talking about, uh, and that means that uh, you know the. Uh, Malaysian authorities now are in a better position than ever before to go and uh, lay their hands on the uh, ill-gotten ga- gains right. you know, that uh, Lowe and his company. Okay. So have. this money will be recovered and given back to Malaysia? Is but, ma- understanding? According to the PM, Mahathir said oh, yesterday, and everybody thinks so too, that money rightly belongs to the people of Malaysia. Malaysia. I think when, they, when the DOJ first started uh, talking about the, the civil suit, uh, they did mention that uh, the money belonged to the people of Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FBI also said the same thing. Yeah. And also earlier this year, the U.S. did return two hundred million U.S. dollars to us. So I think it will. The money and they're all working us. in concert. I mean, the AG's chambers, the Swiss, uh, the guys. You name them all. They all point in one direction to recover the money. Mm-hmm. That's right. What you do after that? Of course, there might be some diplomatic uh, ways to get around over this, but uh, the money should go back. Okay. But of course, you you ask about criminal wrongdoing. Obviously, there must be because who on earth would want to surrender mm-hmm. uh, seven hundred U.S. million dollars worth of assets if that money hadn't been? Uh, <laughs> it's telling you right on the face, doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, but what does this mean for Joe Lowe in Malaysia? He's still considered a criminal. He's definitely. considered a, yeah. he's still considered yes, a, a he's criminal still, here, yeah, a wanted criminal here. The so. only thing is that it now buys him time to uh, shuttle from between Europe and uh, the Middle East. He's now supposed to be living in the in the UAE. He's been there. When you look at it, it looks like as if he's scoring a few points here, like having been able to move around uh, That's right. the Middle East and then bits of Europe. When actually... In reality, I mean, he's a wanted criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he should be uh, ring fenced. It's know, ironic that he hasn't be. been found. You know, <laughs> I'm, there's yeah. another thing I want to point out. Uh, another ironic thing. You know, uh, the, the 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 money that should come to us, 15 million US dollars of that is going to Joe Lowe's lawyers mm. just for the commissions you know? and fees. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, and, and and you know who is heading that uh, law firm. Chris Christie, the former Republican governor of New yes, Jersey. Oh, yes, wow. yes. Okay, yes. well, we're definitely watching this right. story as it unfolds. Coming up, uh, guarantee us an end to tolls. This is what Azmin is telling firms. We'll take a look at that one next.
An end to tolls. This is what uh, Pakatan's uh, Datuk Sri Azmin Ali is saying. Only private companies that can guarantee tolls um, will be considered to take over Plus Malaysia Berhad. Based on what he said, um, if private sectors cannot buy Plus for profit, how can the PH government alleviate the burden of the people when it comes to tolls? I mean, this was part of the Pakatan. Uh, you know, they, first they denied it was part of the manifesto. Now they're saying, yeah, it was part of the manifesto. So we're all a little confused. The only way is for the government to buy up all the tolls. Mm-hmm. And have enough reserves to maintain the highways for eternity, which is <laughs> that's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> right? It doesn't make sense. Uh, yes. Yeah. What really irks me is the fact that there are all these businessmen around here, you know, who are waiting to just go there and zoom in onto Plus and and make money out of this whole thing. When mm-hmm. here it, it should be a an, an effort to bring people uh, more to alleviate their problems, you know, and yeah. their, their hardships. Yeah. Not you know look for yeah. good. Deals and what have but you the interesting yeah. thing is that you know the government on one hand is already proposing to buy up four uh, highways, Kersa, yes. Sprint, Smart, and uh, LDP, in order to be able to give uh, better concessions to uh, users. Yes. But on the other hand, there is this consideration of selling mm. plus. Yeah. Now what gives? Yeah. It doesn't add up, does it? Doesn't you know? Okay. And, and, and uh, I plus, it's a strategic asset. It's, it's a national it asset. Yeah. We can't just simply sell it. Absolutely, and I think they've also held firm, you know, the uh, the management, uh, both the shareholders, you know, Kazana on one hand, EPF and others, yeah. they're showing some spunk a little bit, you know. Right. In fact, behind the scenes of there are always intrigues going on there. Yes, yes. Right you now. Know, uh, as Terence Gomez, the economist, has already warned us, you know, uh, we are selling too many of our national assets. Mm-hmm. And th- what this will happen is that we will end up building up a body of oligarchs and and all that the money that is supposed to help the the rakyat will instead go right. to these oligarchs. But coming back to this so-called um, you know <laughs> business deal, I mean, what type of proposal would be considered by the government? Should they be willing? To well, sell look plus? at it. Look at it now. I mean, if, if, look if at the it. companies won't be able to make any yeah. profit, then who's going to buy it? <laughs> you know, we already know <laughs> that there are about three or four or five suitors out there, uh-huh. and they have even been talked. To the, the the prime minister's um, you know uh, office or, uh, or cabinet where you know they have shown indications that you know they want to just have a look at what it's all about. That's already quite dangerous because that means they are starting to look, you know, at what is available and what you can uh, cast your lots on. <laughs> you know, so what, yeah, what we need to fear actually is a return to the good old bad old days of yeah, a big absolutely. business cronyism. Remember? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now coming up, uh, it looks like the Rapid Transit System Link project is back on the cards. Uh, We are going to take a look at that one next. Now, let's take a look at the RTS. It looks like the Rapid Transit System is back on track after Putrajaya secured cost savings and cooperation from landowners, including the Johor Sultan. So now that we're going ahead with this project, do you think it will be money worth spending? Absolutely, because, uh, you know, it is said that about 250,000 to 300,000 people cross the, the, the causeway every day. And uh, this uh, RTS will allow a capacity of 10,000 passengers per hour each way. So uh, I cannot imagine if the project were to be scrapped, 
What would happen to all those commuters? I mean, uh, right now the KTM shuttle is uh, is not fulfilling. Uh, we we definitely have to you know improve what is available out there, mm-hmm. and this is the best alternative at the moment. And coming with the cost saving along the way, three point one six billion versus four point nine billion before, it gives more incentive that we go ahead and do with it. You know? And we know, look at the struggles of these commuters, you know, in between yeah. Johor, Singapore, always problematic. You know? They need uh, to be uh, alleviated. Right. Yes, right. Do you feel that um, the RTS is likely to benefit more Malaysians and Singaporeans? I think so, because uh, a lot of Malaysians go over to Singapore to work, to also to go to school. Uh, from the other side, it would seem that uh, Singaporeans come over by car more mm. than by yeah. by train or Maybe whatever. Maybe it's going to open up a new vista, you know, for uh. the Singaporeans after this. Uh, but you're right. Uh, you know, the fact is that there are more Malaysians who need to use this. And... For economic and commercial reasons, there are pretty strong arguments here, you know. Yeah. And the the the, the bridge that was in the news yesterday. <laughs> oh, of course, my <laughs> thoughts on that. Mahathir still wants to have his crooked bridge, lah. I suppose <laughs> you know he was still Gosh. lamenting about it. We give them water, but they won't agree to build the yeah. bridge. Mm. No, but the thing is, uh, I suppose uh, Singapore is very wary about it because they want to preserve the competitiveness of their port. I suppose. Right. Absolutely, yeah. and also the fact remains that you know. Uh, as long as there's this Dr. Mahathir versus Singapore axis here, mm-hmm. you'll uh, go continue to have this kind of <laughs> issues, you yes. know, and contentiousness. And he does have, a, he does have on one point, though, because uh, if you have a bridge, then uh, uh, it will allow the motorists to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will really ease the congestion on the causeway. Mm. But we have twice and, uh, you know... Uh, I At think least, he's talking you know. about a, 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 a new bridge. Oh, the new bridge. Yeah, 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 so yeah like building a new yeah. bridge across so that it will uh, facilitate uh, the, the passage of these motorists. straight run through <laughs> rather than passing <laughs> it around. Not quite <laughs> that straight, won't be though. A bridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up, there's been a mixed reaction to smoking ban at E-Trees in Penang. We're going we're gonna to take a look at that one next. On front page with me this morning, veteran journalist Rajan Moses and Ki Tuan Chai and non-smokers in Penang are rejoicing over the court's decision to dismiss a constitutional challenge against the health ministry's ban on smoking in all food outlets in the form of educational enforcement nationwide uh, on January this year. Why did the court uphold their decision to dismiss a constitutional challenge against the health ministry's ban in all food outlets? Was there any merit to the challenge in the first place? There was no merit at all in the challenge. It's just a lame duck attempt, you know, to try and uh, relive the past. Because I think the court has made it very clear that there are certain clauses within the uh, law that allow for people to be exclusive uh, in, in into a bad habit like smoking. Uh, and uh, you'll notice that uh, there's no real public clamor for this kind of thing. There is a little few interest groups, personal, and it's uh, losing its luster, really. You know, mm-hmm. The you challenge came from a group uh, that said that uh, their rights were being infringed upon, and they premised the case on infringement of Article 5 and Article 8 of the Federal Constitution. Article 5 says that you cannot deprive anyone of their life or, or liberty mm-hmm. in accordance with law. Yes. Oh, they are really they're wrong, because there is now a law which uh, prohibits you from smoking at okay, yes. uh, eateries. And Article 8 says that uh, everybody is equal under the law and should be protected equally. 
Then what about the non-smokers? They too should also be protected. In fact, they would need more protection from the inhaling uh, <laughs> harmful <laughs> fumes. Besides, the judge also said something very, uh, very right, which is that in any case, the law provides the smoker with the freedom of choice. Mm. You can still smoke three meters away from the eatery. Right. So there you go. What is that to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. On, on both fronts, the verdict is no. <laughs> okay, very well. And you both are former smokers, so yeah. <laughs> even better, right? That's right. Now, in your opinion, how effective are designated smoking zones uh, where citizens still tend to break the law? I mean, not law, but, you know, various uh, enforced rules. They're not effective unless there is strict enforcement. Right. And that's an issue, really, isn't that's it? That's a big issue. And it's very difficult to enforce because we are not small like Singapore. Mm. Our enforcement in Malaysia is pretty lack on various fronts. What more smoking, which is a soft issue, you know. So, unless enforcement is done, it's going to be... But at least there's a good move in the right direction mm-hmm. and uh, citizens can get up and you know and stand up there for the right and say hey get away from that three meters you know right. yeah but uh, malaysians also by and large tend to resist following rules <laughs> <laughs> at one time i at a cinema toilet i saw a guy smoking i told him hey you shouldn't be smoking he just ignored me yeah. the people yeah. just don't you're care you're lucky he ignored you and not you know decide to punch you up <laughs> 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 some rage yeah. i tell you <laughs> Well, coming up, uh, we're going to take a look at the various candidates for the Tanjung PI by-election. That's next. And let's take a look at Tanjung PI. Pakatan Harpan has named uh, PPBM's Tanjung PI Division Chief Carmine Sardini as its candidate. Uh, Gerakan has named Wendy Subramaniam, its Deputy Secretary General, uh, as its candidate. And now BM has confirmed MCA's Jack Singh as candidate for Tanjung PI. Um, so let's discuss these candidates. What has been their track record so far. Jack Singh has got the best uh, track record because he was a two-time uh, MP for Tanjung PI and he lost only very narrowly at GE14. And he's also been a state assemblyman for uh, Bukit Nanas. On top of that, he has been a deputy minister in uh, youth and sports. Mm-hmm. So he's the best bet. Uh, you look at Kamini, well, he was formerly from Amno. He was uh, he's an architect, right? Uh, and uh, he was chosen... Uh, I, su- I suppose because he's a local boy. Right. I mean, look at uh, what actually happened before uh, when Pakatan, which via Bersatu, had won the seat by 554 votes or something like that against we. Mm-hmm. But the fact remains that at that time it was a banding of a group of uh, several parties of you know, PKR, uh, Bersatu, uh, DAP, a conglomerate that was working together to win the election and they managed to pull it off. But this time around now, Barisan support has grown Yes. Uh, over time now because there are a lot of divisive issues with the DAP particularly. So that's what's going to make this a very interesting election because right. the, the constituencies are like this. The the uh, Malay votes is about 52%. 57. Yeah, and the Chinese vote 40 mm. something and yeah. very small on the Indian 1%, side. 1%, yeah. yeah. So here we've got a real contest. That's right.
Right. What about Wendy? Wendy Subramaniam. What are, you know... Are, I don't are think she has much of a chance. <laughs> and I, you know, just discussing, you know. It may even be a case of uh, losing <laughs> of a deposit, you know, because the fact is, we're looking at bigger things here now. Yes. And particularly with the Bursa 2 there, you know, PH on one yeah. side and DAP on the other side. Yeah. Okay, so who is the most promising candidate, uh, in Jack your Singh. opinion? Jack yeah, Singh. I think Jack Singh, he I should win. I think so too. I, I think would, he should win. I would I it was that. a wise strategic move mm-hmm. by BN to choose uh, an MCA candidate because it also makes the, the non-Malays uh, think better of AMNO for one thing and secondly uh, it's a way to also see how much Chinese support uh, MCA can now garner uh, b- and you can view. also see from the statements being made by PH uh, supporters that you know and, and they're saying it like I say, okay, we are doing our best, and you know we'll win, and you know. But you can yeah. see yeah. that there is some fear. All right. right. Well, we are <laughs> definitely looking forward to the Tanjung Pi by elections. I believe it's on the sixteenth, right? Yes, November? that's right. Yeah. Sixteen November. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much once again for joining me this morning on Front Page. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like in the university days. <laughs> That's right. You two went to university together. <laughs> nice little reunion here this morning. That was Rajan Moses, former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor, and Keith Wan Chai, columnist and author of The People's Victory.